hard stuff of Ephesians. Because like I was sharing with you guys, you know how Paul, a lot of times in his, in his letters, what he would do is he would give, you know, in, uh, he'd give you the facts and then he would follow it up with the function. He'd tell you, what, here's what the doctrine is and now here's the duty that needs to take place. And like I've been saying, in Ephesians is one of those perfect examples because he nails it right down the middle and the way they've divided up the chapters, it's right in the center. And so we went through those first three chapters and that was all of like the doctrine. This is what riches we have in Jesus Christ. This is what we have in him. This is the awesome things we've been baptized into him. We have this resurrection to this new life. Our spirit's been awake and we understand he's growing us. He's given us all the blessings and now we respond in obedience and now what happens in this response of obedience in chapters 3 through 6, Paul starts laying out, now here's what the Christian life looks like, and here's your responsibilities. And so these next three chapters are really hard to go through because there's so many convicting things that come out of them, but they're not given to weigh us down and give us a checklist on, oh, failed, failed, failed. It's more, I've given you the blessing, I just want to wake you to that. You've already been made to do this. You have the power of the resurrection in you, all you got to do is have that faith that this is where you are with me. And you walk in that and you just obey. And actually, we know that as we look back in our lives, like I was telling Shelly the other day, I wish I could go back. I said, can you imagine going back and telling maybe when you're like 12 or something like that, right before or you hit the teens, and just giving all the knowledge that you have in Christ and handing it over to the younger self and letting you grow from that point on and where you'd be now? But there's so many simple things that you've crossed that if you would have went and told that 12-year-old, it would have been like this mountain and like, yeah, right. But the thing we've come to is we've understood that we already had that in Christ. We already had it. Those big obstacles that would have been that way. So now transfer it to this time and where you're at right now, and maybe the things the Lord's speaking to you or having you go through, and understand that you have it in Him. That later on in the future, you're going to be looking back and being like, wow, I really did have that, and, and He got me through that. And it really is that promise that he gives us, it's those blessings he's given us. And so as we go through these scriptures, I don't want it to be one of those things of here's all the stuff you're doing wrong, but rather here is the responsibility that we have, but he's already given us everything we needed because we saw that in the first three chapters. This is the blessings he's given us, and now we walk in that obedience. And so as we go through it, just remember that. The, the Lord is not coming down on you. He's not there to beat you to death until you submit. There might be things that definitely need to be brought up and changed, and it might be really painful, some of this stuff, but we have to know it's in his love and what he has the perfect path for us, like what he tells us in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 10, right? It's already, it's already there for us. We just need to walk in those ways. And so be challenged as we go through these scriptures, and tonight is actually a really hard one. As I was going through, I was getting so down because I'm like, Lord, I'm so far from you. As I go through these scriptures and I see I, I'm not lowly, I'm not gentle, and my wife knows that, and my kids, <laughs> I'm not long-suffering. I mean, maybe I could look back on the old self and be like, oh yeah, I'm a lot better, I progress from there, but when you look, come down the truth, it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm in despair. I'm not, I can't claim any of these things right here. And then he just looks at me, you know, and he just gives me those promises and that stuff. And he goes, no, you are there with me because I'm long-suffering. All you got to do is walk right behind me. You know, and it's like, oh, <laughs> you're right. I have to go back to it's not about me and trying to make it up and do things better for you or that. It's just about, you know what, Lord, I just want to grab your hand and I just want to go where you want to go. And you're already lowly. 
and I want to follow your example and how you're doing that. And practically, how does that work out? Because we do have emotions that arise, and it's really hard to remember right then, like, hey, I'm with Jesus. <laughs> it's more like, this stinks. I hate my life right now. I don't like this. I don't like that. This person's causing problems with me, and it's really hard to enter into that. But that's where that daily devotion comes in. That's why it's so key to be in fellowship with other believers, to be in the Word, and to be in prayer. Because that's where that remembrance comes back. That's walking with Him. And that's what we're going to get into, and just where he, right away He says walk. So we're going to try to go through, I don't know how much we're going to get through tonight. As I was studying through it, it kept getting bigger. Like I say every once in a while, it just keeps getting bigger. I'm hoping we'll get the first six verses, um, and then we'll do spiritual gifts for next week. So let's go ahead and let's read one through six in chapter four of Ephesians. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which we, with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were all called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And Lord, just as you talk to us through the scriptures and and teach us, Lord, I pray that we would just see what your heart is behind it, Lord, that we wouldn't let the enemy deliver lies to us and and make us think that, you, you know, something that you're not. And uh, Lord, just change our hearts. If there is sin that's in there that needs to be dealt with, of course, Lord, just bring that before us. And, and you know, if it does hurt, we know that you're going to be so gentle with us. And uh, Lord, that we're your children and you're going to treat us like your children. And correct us when we need to correct it, but you're always going to be there to love us, Lord. And we just praise you for that. Um, Lord, I ask that you just speak to us, speak to our hearts, um, that we bring change and that we could just be right there, really close to you, Lord and just falling in love with you every single day and seeing what you have for us each day, Lord. And you may pray, amen. So just starting out there, we know that, and we've said this before, you know, where he says, therefore, everything's going to be transferring back to those first three chapters. So he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. And both those words, therefore and beseech, he's referring back to what was previously spoken. And so with the authority, with the things, with the details, with this doctrine, it's already been given, here's the reaction to it. And so I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you were called. That word that he uses there, walk, and this is right where Andy was talking about, just walking. And I wonder why he didn't use run, and we know there's a scripture that says run the race that's set before you, and oftentimes we think, okay, we got to get there as fast as possible, because if we're not, we're a failure as a Christian, if we can't complete these certain goals and get over these problems that we have fast enough, the Lord's going to somehow disown us or be upset with us or not talk to us anymore or maybe not even answer our prayers. We get all these stupid things in our head, these, these lies that happen, and it's not the truth. And the word that he uses here, walk, it's just a pace. And remember in these times when he was talking to these people, they walked everywhere. They didn't jump on their scooter and go to the next town. I mean, maybe they had a horse if they were wealthy. But a lot of times they're walking everywhere and just walking and walking. So remember when he says walk there, walk worthy of the calling. And when you walk or when they walked, you always had a goal you're getting to, right? Like nowadays it's kind of weird because you just get out there and walk. Maybe there is a goal because you want to be thinner. So I guess that is still a goal. We don't really walk for no reason. Usually when we walk, we try to get things out of our mind. We're trying to go somewhere, trying to lose weight, uh, 
have conversation with somebody else that's walking with us. There always is a goal there. And so when he says walk worthy, he's not saying do this, just do this mindlessly, just go out there. But take the time that needs to happen. Be worthy. So walk worthy of that calling. And with that calling, when we look at it, it's so awesome because if you look at the Old Testament, what is God usually saying in there? He says, if you obey me, I will bless you, right? Isn't that a lot in the Old Testament? Over and over again, he tells them, if you obey me, I will give you this blessing. And we know that there's several times that they don't even obey, and by his grace, he still follows through with what he's going to say. But over and over again, he says, if you love or if you obey me, I'll bless you. And then you get to the New Testament, and it's, I have blessed you, respond in obedience. And that grace has just been poured out, and it's, it's this awesome thing that we get to take hold of. And then when we walk worthy of that calling, it's an awesome calling that we've been called to. And it's our responsibility now to live up to that calling. Jesus has taken care of it. He's called us to this life with him, to be walking with him, to walk worthy of what he's called us to. And so our responsibility is obedience to that. It's not slackness. It's not hanging back and letting him take care of things and, and oh, you'll solve this problem sooner or later. There is responsibility there. There's action that needs to take place. There's decisions that we have to make. You know, I've heard a couple times this last week of people just going back about life is choices. It's either you do or you don't. And Chuck isn't here tonight, but he was talking even about this on the men's study. That it's, it's you know, are we going to do it or are we not going to do it? That's usually what you're coming up against. So when the Lord asks you to do something, you either you got the choice. Am I going to do it? I'm not going to do it. Which way am I going to go? And in this calling, when we respond to it, what he's talking about is just you know, be steady. Walk. Have that end goal. Be, walk worthy of what you've been called to. And in verse 2, and this is the things that we walk with, is with all lowliness, gentleness, and with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so what Paul moves on to, and he says here, here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be walking worthy of the calling, which you're called with these things. And there's seven things here that we're going to mention, and we're going to go over. These seven things are like the Christian graces, okay? These are the seven graces that you would walk with. And so you got your little luggage or your backpack that we're going to go on a walk now. So the first one is lowliness. And that's such a hard thing with the lowliness. With, with all of these, what it's going to go through is it's going to talk about the unity. Before I get into each word, let me go back to this. But what it, the goal is here, and you guys might even have the title right at the top, is walk in unity or walk together. And as we go through this in this Christian grace, it's what we're going to be pouring out on each other. And that unity, unity is, has different parts. I mean, that's what it's usually talking about when you talk about unity. It's something with different parts, with different functions, but they're all working together for a common goal, right? And then there's another word that people like to throw in there and try to make it the church, and it's called uniformity. And uniformity is not what he talks about. It's always unity. Uniformity is, it's many different parts being made from pressure outside to function the same way for a goal. Now, the thing with unity is it's usually there's motivation within. And that's why Paul gives the example of the body with Christ being the head. That motivation is coming from him, and he's making all those different parts that have different functions, but it's all working together for that common goal of bringing glory to God. Uniformity says, yeah, we have different parts, and you guys are all going to conform and try to be like this one part so we can get this one function done. And it's usually from something that's without outside of whatever is in that, I don't know, whatever you want to say. And there's a lot of pressure that happens there. 
That's not how he designed the church. That's not how it goes, and it's not about uniformity. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul ends up using, as he goes through the, the, the body, that's what he uses as a symbol of unity. And those different things, and even at the verse, uh, it's in verse 16 of chapter 4, he goes back to that. That same example, he says, from whom the whole body knitted and joined together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that end goal being that edification that takes place, that loving God and that edification. And so Paul uses that a lot, uses that body as the examples. And so going back to these seven graces, so the first one being lowliness. Going on this walk, and the first thing you have is you have lowliness. And lowliness is humility. It's putting Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. I know there's that, that saying that humility or is uh, not thinking less of yourself, but not thinking of yourself. And, and how, I mean, there's a lot of clever sayings out there, and I wouldn't remember, and I'd probably butcher them. But you guys understand, humility is one of those things that we talk a lot about in the Christian faith. But I like how it was put, Jesus is first, others are second, and yourself is last. It's to know ourselves and accept ourselves and to be ourselves to God's glory. That's something usually we don't associate with humility because we don't want to talk about ourselves when we talk about humility. But we see Moses did, right? I mean, he calls himself the most humble guy. He's writing that down in the scriptures. I'm the most humble. I don't know if you guys know that verse. But God doesn't ask us in humility, completely omit yourselves, become a monk, and never think about yourselves again. What it is, is just to know what you are in Christ. To know ourselves and to accept ourselves the way we are and to be ourself to God's glory. And this is about Jesus there. Romans 12, 3 is a perfect verse that just hits humility right on the nose. Romans 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so it's being honest. It's like, okay, here, I know where I'm at. I'm not going to think more highly of myself because God's done these things with me. I've been these places. I've done that. That's not what we're going to. Paul over and over again talks about that. Even in Corinthians, you know, in the second Corinthians, when we went over that, he kept having to defend himself, and he says, okay, fine, I'll look the fool to you guys. Since you guys are only listening to those that are coming without with all these different certifications and what they've been through, if you guys are going to be fools and take that, I guess I'm going to have to be a fool to help you guys understand where I've been, where I'm coming from, and all this. But then in the end, he's all, all the glory to God. I'm here for the church. That's what it's all about. Not about what I've accomplished. And that verse in Romans there is just saying, you know what, don't think of yourself highly. Just, just think where you're at. I mean, God reveals where we're at every day, doesn't he? And we'd be honest with that. And then God can deal with us. But if we're always thinking highly of ourselves, and this is a big trap, is if we get stuck in this place of, I've graduated from that, I've done this, I've already read all these scriptures, I've been to church enough times to you know, go and preach the sermon backwards and forwards, I'm over that stuff. Be careful, you're thinking more highly than you ought to. It's a very dangerous place, and it omits yourself from the unity that God wants you to be in, that edification, you've taken yourself out of there. How can you edify somebody else if you think you've arrived? Because I guarantee what's going to happen is every time they go to talk to you about something going on in their life, you're going to be better than them, and you're going to let them know that. Just watch a person. When you talk with them, who do they talk more about? Do they listen to what's going on, 
Or immediately do they jump in to one-up you on their story and to then talk about themselves? Every conversation you have with them, you probably know much more about them and they forget who your name is, what your name is. <laughs> because it's, it's usually about them. You've got to be very careful in doing that. And I know that Scott could tell us all about this because he went to a great chaplain thing where they talked about being careful and making sure you're listening and don't try to one-up people. It's just not the way that God set it up. Don't think highly of ourselves. Be sober about how you guys think. And let the Lord come and deal with you where with what's going on. And that's what I mean by know yourselves, accept yourselves, and be yourselves a God. I don't want anybody taking that out of context and saying, oh, Curtis is saying, accept yourselves like you are, like it's cool where you're at in your sin. <laughs> don't grow anymore. It's just being, be, be realistic of where you are. Let the Lord uncover those things and deal with them before him. And then that second one, gentleness. And gentleness is meekness. And meekness is one of those words I really enjoy because it's so deceiving. <laughs> Some people think that meek, automatically you think of this quiet little girl, like I think of my little Rhea, my, my last, and she's just sweet and, and quiet and, you know, just has a smile all the time and says these little cute things. I usually think that's meek, but meekness, what it is, it's power, and maybe this is her because it's power under control. I don't know about the control part, but there's some power under that gets scary sometimes. But meekness is power under control. And what in the Greek, what they would use this word for is they would, they would use it many times for a soothing medicine. Or they'd use it for a colt that's been broken. Or another one that they'd use it as a soft wind. And each one of those, you can see there's an extreme power that's there. But the thing is, it's under control. And so being gentle, having that meekness, it's okay, guys, to be a guy that's ready to spring into action. When something needs to be dealt with in a godly way, because we've got to see Jesus. He was very meek, wasn't he? I mean, he was the model for meekness. But when they were dealing with things and they were representing themselves in a wrong way to the Gentiles and they were using the place where the Gentiles were supposed to come and pray at the temple and they are using it to sell and to rob people, what did Jesus do? He unloaded he became that man that needed to step up and say, no, this is not what God has done. And so what happened is he, he, he got the, the whip that he made and he drove all those guys out of there. And if you go back to this scenario, you've got to understand, this is like you going into a place that's corrupt. You've got some of the most corrupt people in the city there. I mean, just think mob, okay? You think like gangsters. This is like their, their, their setup. And Jesus is over there flipping over tables and whipping these guys. It's a pretty extreme situation, but the thing is it needs to be dealt with. And so us, as men and women, there are times we have to stand up for the truth. It's not saying be meek and everything and be quiet about how you're going to explain something to somebody because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You're robbing them. That's not what it's talking about. Meekness is power under control. And so it's not us flipping our lid either, Right? It's not us letting ourselves get out of control. And, and usually that doesn't happen here in the church. It's very rare, and it kind of rattles people if it does happen. But, of course, it happens a lot in the home because we feel very comfortable in the home. We've known these people forever, and so we kind of let loose because it's like you're going to have to deal with it because you're married to me. <laughs> you know, or whatever situation, we don't ever think that way, but it's just we're in this comfort zone that we've gotten to this way where we feel we can treat the other person that way. We can treat our kids that way. We can treat our parents that way. Um, we can treat our loved, you know, our wife or our husband that way. And that's not what God's asking us. He's saying, you know, go on this, this walk. You guys have been called to this life. Have lowliness. Have this gentleness that you need to take with you. This is the graces you need to take with you. And then the third one, long-suffering. 
And this kind of goes right along with meekness, because long-suffering is long-tempered. And this one's a good one, and it's a hard one, because what it is, the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. The ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. And that is a fun one, because you feel very, it's not just if you can't fight back. (laughs) You're getting tortured, and you need to stand up for your rights. And God's saying there, be long-suffering. Be long-suffering, long-tempered. And just think, and you go back and you see how many times did Jesus stand in front of those guys, and you know he could have had the perfect words that would have just cut them. You knew he knew all about the sins those guys had, and he could have exposed every single one of them in front of everybody and humiliating those men that were attacking him. But he was long-suffering. He just held back. He waited till his perfect moments to when he could speak the truth when it needed to be spoken. And he could be gentle to those that he needed to be gentle to, and he was harsh to those that needed that harsh. I mean, Peter, I'd be scared to death if Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, and he's looking at me and talking to me. I'd be like, oh, great, I'm going to hell. (laughs) He just called me Satan. (laughs) You know, it's pretty harsh things, but, you know, Peter was able to take that and graduate from that and move on. But that word needed to be spoken. But being long-tempered or long-suffering with those uh, that are around us, those that are in the church, you know, it's one of those things that if we feel a person's attacking us or they don't like us for some reason, you know, bear with them. You have no idea what's going on behind the, the scene. They could be going through such a hard time in their life right then, and they're not going to tell anybody because they're a tough person. And they just need you to be long-suffering with them. And usually what happens is they come back to you, and, and, and they'll come back and apologize. And you're like, that's right. No, <laughs> that's what I deserve. I was long-suffering. No, it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting them come back and, and see that they were and see I was long-suffering with them. And it's a nice thing, but unfortunately, we don't do it. We want people to pay for what they've hurt us in, you know, and, and paying by we're not going to talk to them anymore. And, and we'll make it weird between us. <laughs> you know, it, it'll be like, we'll just have a little short discussions and, and we'll be off with it. But how does that edify most of the time, those are the people that need our prayers the most. They need us to come behind them. Like I was telling uh, a guy, you know, he's dealing with his boss, and just the things he's dealing with, it, it was, you don't know what that boss is going through. Anybody that you guys work with, people that are attacking you at work and saying horrible things about you, you have no idea what's going on in their lives, but I guarantee as soon as it gets really rough and you guys haven't been going after them, they're going to come back to you and want to talk to you because they know you have the truth. They know that you've been long-suffering, and they want to know why. Why haven't you attacked me? It's such an awesome thing that when you're going on this walk, make it worthy, and this is what you do to make it worthy. You have gentleness, you have long-suffering, you bear with one another in love is the fourth one. Bear with one another in love. And this is actually four and five, because both of them go together, but that bearing with one another, or forbearance, you know, to walk alongside of, And that is a hard one. And when we talk about bearing, you think of taking a load on. Well, it talks about that. When somebody's hurting in the church or somebody's hurting in your home, and that's such a hard one, we'll get to that in a second, but in the church, it's usually a little bit easier because we have this compassion for each other. We really want to help each other out. We want to carry each other's burdens. I mean, even times when they're telling you a story and they're just broken before you, you know, you might even have some tears that come up and you're like, I feel where you're at. I hurt for you. I hurt for your children having to go through those things because I've been there. Not me yet. I'll, I'll, you guys will be 
weeping with me later when I tell you, <laughs> when I come to you and like, oh, my little girls are not little girls anymore. <laughs> but those things that we can come alongside of each other now where it gets really hard and where we do not want to bear is with our spouses. And that's just the honest truth. We do not want to pick up their slack. We do not want to pick up their hurt. We do not want to do that. Because that's what they're supposed to be doing for us. <laughs> we are, usually it doesn't go the reversed way. And it's so important in our marriages that we, for, we, we have that forbearance with our spouses. That we bear what's going on with them. That if they had a hard day at work or they had a hard day with kids, maybe you had a worse day. It goes back to that don't one-up them. Sit there and listen. And yeah, <laughs> I am totally hypocrite up here. And my wife's looking at me, and I just think, man, how many times have I robbed her of that? Because I've had an awful day, and she's been so good to me. And this does happen a lot of times where the woman is so good at just listening to us men go through and rant through it. And when we're done, we're done. We're like, okay, I'm hungry now. Where's supper? And they haven't even gotten to spill out their guts to tell you what their day was like, or you're just kind of, you know, okay, I'm sorry that happened to you. And it is really hard. It's really hard to sit down and get face-to-face and to help them through that, to bear with them. It is. And <laughs> I'm speaking right, yeah. It's a tough thing. And then it says in love. And anytime it throws in love in there, and that, that having love with that walk, you always have to love. All of these has love that goes with it, right? But it puts it with bear with one another in love. And if you go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I mean, sorry, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What it does is it breaks down love. And starting in verse 4, it says, Love suffers long and is, in, is kind. And that's right there, bearing with one another. Love suffers long and is kind. Kind. <laughs> Watch those words that come out of your mouth. Watch what's said back to that loved one, back to that person in the church. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things. All things. You put all in there. I know. Believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love absolutely never fails. If you guys have things that are going on in your life and they're failing, Go back and check it out. Any relationships that are failing right now in your lives, go see if love is there. Because it won't be failing if there's love there. It says it right there. It says it in the scriptures. It says love never fails. If you guys do this stuff, this is what it's talking about here in the Word, and you act out love in this way, it's not going to fail. I know that's a pretty big promise because of some of the family members that we have, even outside of our immediate family. It's like, no, you don't know. These people are the most evil people you've ever met. I don't care how much love you, you throw up on them. They're going to look at it and just be like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And they hurt us right back. But the thing is, is God's given us a promise here. This is one of those things that we step in faith. And we have to believe what he says here. That it will not fail. Keep pouring it out. Keep pouring it out. Keep pouring it out. Be encouraged that that's the way. And if you guys have stories in here, too, of what's gone on in the future and, and the love that you poured out on that family member or that other person, Hey, share those stories with other people. It's encouraging to hear that it does work out, that this promise is true. That's why we have the Old Testament. It's so awesome to see that God's promises really do happen. I mean, we believe it in our minds, and we're like, yes, but I want to see proof of it. And it's so good to hear testimony from you guys about here's what's happening in my family. 
And so tell, talk about it, you guys. Go back over to Ephesians. Number six, endeavoring. So, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Endeavoring, being, and this is a neat one right here, being eager to maintain or to guard that unity. Being eager to maintain or guard. And it's interesting that it has the word eager in there. Looking forward to, happy about, not going into it half-heartedly or, or grudgingly like, oh, I know I have to do this because I'm a Christian <laughs> and I'm going to go do it. And sometimes we have to, you know, it's good that we go ahead and do it, but watch out what the attitude is behind it. Because what does God say? You know, I don't want that sacrifice. I don't want it. I want your heart broken. I want you to see where you are. I want you to see that I've given you grace, and in turn, how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to give it back? And that endeavoring to keep that unity, that bearing or that being eager to maintain that unity in the Spirit, or to guard it. And the thing is that when it says this word, it's in the present participle, which, okay, that means continuing action. So it's actually something that's consistently maintaining or consistently guarding our unity with one another. How many of you guys ever thought about guarding your unity with people in here or in the church? I never have. I mean, when I was going through this and studying, it's like, oh, it makes sense. It makes like, okay, yeah, that's what we should be doing because there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. And if we were actually soldiers, we would be thinking about guarding our brother or sister next to us. I mean, every guy that you talk about that's been in the army or woman, what do they say they were out there doing? Like, maybe they didn't agree with the politics of where they were out, and they, they maybe even felt used by the government, but they will always go back to, I was protecting those that were next to me. I was guarding those people next to me. I was guarding our unity next to us. It's like, wow, we failed that. Because I've never, I know I haven't, and maybe you guys haven't, and that's awesome. Please help us, <laughs> help the other people in here to remember that we need to guard what we have with each other. That as soon as you guys hear something come up about another person, stop it. Just end it right there. And however that needs to take place, you just got to stop what's going on. If there's somebody attacking without, guard. Guard that unity that needs to take place in here because the enemy does not want us to be unified in this church. It is a scary thing when a church is unified. And even when it gets bigger than this church and it starts unifying with other churches, I mean, the enemy's losing ground, isn't he? And that's an awesome deal. But we have to guard it. We have to eagerly maintain it. It's a continual process. It's not just, okay, I made things right with so-and-so over there. We're good now. You have to maintain it. For those of you guys that are introverts and don't like to conversate very much and talk, guess what, you guys? The Scripture's for you. This is one of those things that it's talking about maintaining it. Whether you don't like it, you know what? God hasn't called you to the things that you like to do. He's called you to follow after Him. And He wants you to maintain that. So go out on a limb and, and just maintain it. Maybe it's just a few words that you just need to speak to that person. It means so much because it means, oh, wait, they're not mad at me because they're talking to me now. So many times in our mind we can get away with saying, oh, they're upset with me because they haven't talked to me at all. Maybe they just got really busy. You know, who knows? We don't know. You can't go there either if you're on that side. But being sure and being sure to maintain and to guard. All right, I beat that one like a pinata. Number seven, the last one, peace. Peace. The bond of peace. And that bond of peace, let's go over to James. James will just do so much better than me trying to explain this way. 
James 3.13. And what it shows us here in James 3.13 through uh, chapter 4, verse 10, it talks about, and it goes back and forth about war and peace, okay? And that bond of peace that we need to keep. So starting out in, in verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That, that power under control of wisdom, right? But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and even demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You guys see confusion going on, you better remember what it's talking about here. Why is there confusion going on? Because there's envy and there's self-seeking going on. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then moving on, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your, on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns uh, jealously? But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And this whole thing, this war and this peace that goes back and forth, the reason for war on the outside is because there's war on the inside, isn't there? That's why you've got to be careful. If something's really happening, if somebody really has a problem, they have a negative attitude, you know what? Something's going on inside of them. If they're not a believer, I mean, we know right away, well, they can't do any better. They're a slave to unrighteousness. Maybe they can try to be a better person, but you know what? It's in their own power. It's a really hard thing. A person that's in Christ, you have to look at it, and you've got to see that they're probably not getting along with God, and that's why they're not going to get along with you. <laughs> and what I mean by get along, we don't ever think like, hey, get along with God. We feel like we've always gotten along with him. But you know what? When you're not doing what God's asking you to do, and you're kind of running from what he's asking you to do, you're not really getting along with him, are you? That's not a healthy relationship going on there. The peace of God ruling in our hearts equals the ability to build or have unity. Look at Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15. too far. Colossians 3.15, it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. (laughs) 
be thankful. So if a person is, is having a hard time, you know what? The peace of God is not ruling in their hearts. They're, they're having a hard time there. And if they're a close person to you, don't let it offend and brush them off because your feelings have been hurt. Guys, they need help. They need you to spend some time. They need you to be long-suffering with them. They need all of these graces that we're talking about and going on that walk with these graces. You know what we've been called to is be that body. We have to have these things there for each other. We have to be careful, and then we have that bond of peace. Look out for one another. Go back over to Ephesians, and we'll conclude with these last verses here in Ephesians 4. In verse 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So now what happens is that you go through these things, and here's, here's these, uh, these graces that we walk with, and then what you have is you have these truths that he gives you, these truths that unite us, guys. These things that bring us together, these are things that we can retreat to, to have that fellowship, to have that unity. And so when you look at these truths, it says there's one body. There's not a bunch of them. There's one body. And we look at that, and that's a universal church. We're not just talking about there's one Calvary Chapel. (laughs) No, there's many other believers out there. Now you have the local body, okay? And in the local body, it's just part of that one body. And there's different things that we take care of. This is, the, this is where we come and join together in that one body. And Christ is the head of it. He's the one that controls the members of that one body. And the thing is, is that some people will try to take this and they'll try to exclude themselves from the local body. They'll say, I'm a part of the church. I'm a part of that one body. You know, I talk to God. Me and him, are, we're, we're tight. You know, it's all right. And what you're doing is you're excluding yourselves from the body that he's called you to be a part of. How are you going to exhort... And love your brothers if you're not a part of a fellowship. How are you going to bring those gifts that we're going to talk about next week to the table to edify and to build up? How is that going to happen if you're in this invisible thing? Wearsby was talking to a guy, or he had this story about this, this, uh, uh, this, church, the, this pastor, and what had happened is that this missionary came into the church, and he said, hey, I would like to have some support from you guys. I'm over here on the mission field, and we're doing these great things over there. And the pastor asked, he said, well, what church are you from? The Invisible Church. He's like, okay. Well, who is your pastor? Who's the ones that have sent you out? No, I'm with the Invisible Church. See, the church you have here isn't the real church. I'm with the Invisible Church. The pastor responded and said, well, here you go. Let me give you some invisible money. (laughs) And the whole story was because he wanted to help him understand that, yes, he understood his point. He wasn't trying to, you know, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. The guy's point was that it's one body that isn't just, a, you know, the, the church building and all that. But the point he was trying to drive home, the pastor, is that, yes, you do have the invisible church, if you want to use that term, or the universal church, but you also have the local church, which is, is a physical. That's, like, if the money's going to go out to the missionaries, that's where it comes from. You know, so there is still that that uh, local church that deals with those things, and then what he's talking about there. So that one body, and then the next one is one spirit. And the one spirit we know is the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us. He's the one that gives us our power. He is the one that we are his building, right? He resides in us individually. We all have that in common, guys. We all have the same spirit. All those cool things that Paul did, guess what? We have the same spirit he did. 
We have one hope. That hope that it's talking about is looking forward to Jesus Christ's return. You guys want to get each other excited? Hey, yeah, we're all going closer to death, but I like to say we're all going closer to eternity. That body change, I'm excited about that. <laughs> it's an awesome thing. We all have this one hope. We can be encouraging to each other. We know that Paul, over and over in his letters, he says, don't lose hope, you guys. Jesus is coming back for us. Praise God. We all have one Lord in, in, verse, in, the, in the fourth one. And I think it's interesting that it didn't say one Savior. But he used Lord here for Jesus Christ because the thing is, he's trying to bring us into unity. And guess what, you guys? If we're all under the same lordship, how could we not walk together? If we're all under the same master, how could we not walk together? There's a question that was asked from somebody to Gandhi. And they said, what is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? Gandhi's response was, Christians. He saw it, being outside of the Christian faith, that that's one of the hardest things for us. There, the, the unity there. How can you be under the same Lord and not have unity? The fifth one is one faith. You know, we might differ in different little things within the Scriptures, but we do hold to that one faith, don't we? We have unity through that one faith. One baptism and now, when it's talking about here in the body, I think it's really referring to what it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, who were baptized in the Spirit, okay? It's not talking about the one water baptism. And that's, where I wanted to, that's why I define that there's a local church and then there's the universal church. With the one church, there's one baptism. It's by the Holy Spirit, right? Romans 6 really defines what that baptism is, as being buried with Christ and raised in likeness with Him, right? Okay? So with the local church, though, we have the baptism, you know, by the Spirit being baptized into the body, but then we also have water baptism, and that's another one. So when he's talking about the one baptism, guys, we all have that in common. We all have been baptized in the Spirit, like what 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says. The seventh one, the last one, is we have one God and Father. And again, going back to him using Father and looking at that as our family, guys. We're a family. We have a father that's over us. We're all children in the same family. Some people might think, well, great, I'm siblings with this other person, and siblings fight. Well, think about mature people, mature siblings, right? We all come back together and love each other most of the time. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, right, you don't know how my sister and my brother still is. But, guys, this is with the Spirit, so we'll look at it that way. (laughs) We're with Him. And when you look at it in that last verse there, in in verse 6, where it talks about one God and Father of all. Now he starts going into these alls. And I think it's interesting that he didn't do that with each one of those things that we have in common. He didn't say over, but he goes and he focuses in on God the Father, the one that's over all. And he says, God is Father of all, he's above all, he's through all, and he's in you all. I don't know what should bring us closer in unity than that. If you really dissect those scriptures and look at what it's saying there, this totality that's all consistent within the Father, and now we've been brought into that. And that we get to be a part of that. And really, any troubles or conflicts that are within us, guys, if we just focus back on our Heavenly Father, in reality, it should become very small to you. It should become like, why in the world am I even going over this? We're children together of the Most High. That's He's Father of all, He's above all, He's through all, and He's in every single one of us. Don't leave others out. That's why that all is in there. (laughs) He didn't say of some of the better saints. He said all. 
didn't he? And so shame on us if we try to leave other people out and say he meant some. That's not the way he's working. And so just as we go through these scriptures, you guys, let's just read through it again. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And Lord, we thank you so much that you reveal these things to us, Lord, that you encourage us in these ways um, in how to deal with our families, how to deal with each other uh, in the church, Lord. And I ask that you would just help us. Give us that power that you promised us, you know, that power that works in us, that power that raised uh, your son from the, the dead, Lord, and just conquered that death. And Lord, I thank you so much for that resurrection you've given us, Lord, that we would just live it out. And thank you so much for the blessings you've given us. Lord, help us along as we, we figure out our responsibilities to you, Lord, that we could just fall in obedience because of the love that we see you've given us, Lord. In any situations that are going right now in the church, Lord, that we might not know of, and people are having conflict, Lord, I pray that this would be the night that they would end that, that they would just bring back that unity, Lord, that they would forgive the things, that they would start out new. Lord, they'd see the things that you've done with them, Lord. And for the hurting families out there, Lord, I ask that you'd bring them encouragement through testimony of other people that things have gone on. Lord, that they would be able to bear long and... Uh, Lord, especially for the couples here, Lord, I want to pray for all the marriages, Lord, that you just draw us closer, and uh, Lord, we'd see where we need to be stronger in, and just have that unity that you've called us to in our marriages too, Lord. And I know you're going to deal with that later in this book, Lord, but uh, I don't know why. I just ask that you just bring us close as, as husband and wife, Lord. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your blessings. You're an awesome God to us, Lord, and we pray all